Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cocky Top Podcast, home of the SEC football show where forever to the Gamecock Brian Lowe and all the all Tyler McDaniel put their friendship to the test during a grueling football season, all while highlighting and fighting for their volunteers and Gamecocks, respectively, throughout their season, as well as our thoughts on other teams in the conference, as well as the league. So regardless if you're a volunteer or a Gamecock or somewhere in between, let's kick this thing off and talk some ball. What's up all you cock and balls and welcome to another episode of the Cocky Top Podcast. I am forever to the Gamecock Brian Lowe and with me as always is all vol Tyler McDaniel T-Mac. What's going on buddy? Oh not a lot, not a lot. Wild weekend of SEC football. Some changes to the top 25 will be happening outside of just SEC teams. So and and of course, like I said, was hopefully going to happen. Wolfpack took down Clemson. Wolfpack's in the house. Really exciting. Really exciting. Yes, definitely got to get that wrestling reference thrown in there at some point in time. And too right you are. With the fact that the season is drawing closer to an end, the month of October is coming to an end. You could also say that Cocktober is Cocktober mm-hmm. after what happened this weekend, and at least for this season anyway, <laughs> and is non-existent. Hopefully it will reemerge like a phoenix from the ashes next year in the 2024 season. Georgia, of course, does easily clear its first hurdle uh, in a series of the last few hurdles before having the opportunity to be able to make it the first ever three-peat. Of course, Tennessee is able to take care of business in Kentucky, uh, a game to where the the final score of the game didn't really indicate how well it seemed like things were going uh, in part on Tennessee's side. Um, And beyond that, uh, like you said, the NC State Wolfpack, for the first time uh, in quite some time, managed to take down Clemson. And Clemson is staring down the barrel of potentially not even making it to a bowl game. And the Gamecocks, I mean, to be able to bring it back around to that right now, because this is, of course, an SEC podcast now sitting at 2-6 and six on the season and are in a must-win situation full-on backs against the wall, backed into the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they want to reach a bowl game in year three of sh- the Shane Beamer era, they are definitely going to have to get something figured out this next weekend coming up. But this is the review show, not the preview show. Mm-hmm. So we got to talk about the happenings from this last weekend. And if you want to go ahead and start, let's actually start with the other team in Tennessee, and that is the Vanderbilt Commodores traveling to Ole Miss taking on the Ole Miss Rebels. Final score in that one. Ole Miss 33, Vanderbilt 7. Not anything we can say as far as this one in terms of not seeing this one coming. Pretty much figured that's what the outcome was going to be, that Ole Miss was going to come out of there. With the win, didn't think they were going to get that many points scored on the Commodores. But unfortunately, after this, uh, Vanderbilt much in the same boat as South Carolina. <clears throat> now sitting at 2-7 and seven on the season. 0-5 oh, 
in conference play, and they are now already at the point to where they are knocked out of Mm -hmm. bowl eligibility as it stands. So Vanderbilt looking to play spoiler for the few remaining teams that they are playing Mm -hmm. this year, including both the Gamecocks as well as the Volunteers. And those are going to be back-to-back games this year. This Mm -hmm. will be the next-to-last game for South Carolina and, of course, what will be the final game for the Volunteers. What are your thoughts on this one? I'm going to be honest. I know that almost almost five touchdowns scored by Ole Miss is is a lot. But honestly, I thought they'd score more against Vandy. As, as bad as Vandy with, is. With the opportunity, yes, I do agree that they could have scored more. I I'm thought just, they'd hang 60 on them. I, I'm, I'm glad Vanderbilt was able to keep relatively in yeah. check. Um, and even scored. And here's the thing is, is I mean, Jackson Dart, 240 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Quinshawn Judkins, 17 carries, 124 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, this was a, you know, ground game more so for, or no, no, actually, I mean, fairly even, I guess. I don't know. 13 points in the first quarter, 13 points in the second quarter, nothing in the third quarter, and seven points in the fourth quarter to put it away, meaning... You had, of course, the total of um, four touchdowns throughout the game, but that means that either they missed a PAT or tried to go for a two-point conversion and failed, whatever the case may be, um, because you're only scoring 13 points in what would be that, you know, the first and second quarter. So, obviously, something's not going the way it should for Ole Miss. And whatever it is, they definitely need to get that corrected if they are going to be, in fact, the hurdle that proves to be too tall for Georgia to leap over on their way yeah, to the Yeah, I mean, this is an Ole Miss that we, you know, earlier in the season saw in a shootout with LSU to where it was basically like the clock ran out. Yeah. So Ole Miss offensively looked better against a better LSU team than their score shows against a – very inferior Vanderbilt. Right. So that's what kind of drove my, wow, they'll probably hang 60-something on them. But they still didn't. So either one of two things happened. Lane, in his illustrious career, for the first time took it easy on someone, which is a rarity in the Kiffin family. I should know because both him and his father were Raiders coaches at one point. Ah. Or... Something wasn't clicking on offense, and Vandy was able to, I don't know, stay in the secondary and shut some of that scoring down. I mean, they do have one pick on the day, so, I mean, at least they did figure something out at some point in time or was able to put some pressure on Dart, make Mm -hmm. him make some errant throws. So maybe that Vanderbilt defense did step up in a sense, I mean, for a little bit anyway. Yeah. I mean, I kind of have the same feeling that you do in the fact that it's more than likely a situation where Kiffin was just letting off the gas a little yeah. bit. Just make sure and preserve around. preserve players for they have, they have a big game coming. Uh, <laughs> multiple big games coming up for the remainder of the season. Ole Miss currently sitting seven one on the season, four and one in conference play. Still very much in the race for the West. SEC yeah. West. Yeah. A little bit more shape up for the SEC East as Tennessee does defeat Kentucky. Putting Tennessee at six and two on the season, and three and two in conference play, with those losses being to Florida and Alabama. So one from the East, one from the West. But 
you can relish in the fact that because Georgia did defeat Florida, that is one of the hurdles that you needed to Mm -hmm. have happen to to be able to move forward. Now, should you guys be able to take down Georgia, which is one of the other hurdles that that the Bulldogs still yet to face um, because they have to play um, Tennessee, Ole Miss, of course, Georgia Tech, who just beat North Carolina, so that's who not even a completely North Carolina. Yeah, it's not uh, North Carolina was that was their second loss. Second Georgia loss, Tech wound up being their second loss. I'm trying to remember who the other team, Mizzou. They still have to play Mizzou yet, and that's going to Mizzou, and I think that's this next weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So Georgia's, like I said, they they easily cleared the hurdle that was Florida, but are going to have a time coming up this next weekend. Of course, against Mizzou, who has been phenomenal for the most part this season. But getting back to, as we started to talk about, what would be the Tennessee-Kentucky game and how things are shaping up in the East, with, excuse me, uh, now being Georgia followed by Mizzou, then Tennessee and Florida basically tied for third. Kentucky's been dropped down to fourth. Uh, followed by South Carolina and, of course, uh, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. to finish out what would be the standings in the East. This is another one to where the final score really didn't uh, indicate how the gameplay was for this game. Devin Leary, quarterback for Kentucky, 372 yards on the day, two touchdowns. Had the better quarterback day than what Milton did, uh, he did for the game. Even though Milton saw a little bit better completion rating. Yeah. 18 for 21. One of his better games completion-wise, but that also signifies that we ran a lot. Yes. Uh, what was it? Jalen Wright, 11 carries for 120 yards. Mm-hmm. Dylan Sampson, and 17 carries to tack on another 70 yards. Uh, the final rushing total for the uh, Volunteers, 253 yards versus Kentucky's 72 yards, considering, like we talked about several weeks ago, Ray Davis yeah. just came out of nowhere, had a heyday, and since then has just been stopped. Yeah. I guess forcing Leary to, to go for more, um, in this case, against the Volunteers, 28-39 for 372 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Milton, of course, 18 to 21 for 228 yards and one touchdown. But yeah, uh, it goes back to simply the fact that 253 yards on the ground for Tennessee, who is trying to definitely establish itself as you know more of a ground and pound team yeah. now, not necessarily having to lean on the uh, passing game as much as it did last year. But it still was not lost on the game in its entirety. Uh, Dante Thornton Jr., three catches for 63 yards. Um, long of 47. Squirrel White, five catches for 47 yards. Long of 25. Uh, Chaz Nimrod showed up. Ramel Keaton showed up a little bit. And Dylan Sampson even got in on the passing game as well with four mm-hmm. catches for 39 yards. Of course, Tennessee... Uh, as they have been all year trying to make their living in the backfield. Uh, the big blue wall, as it were, did hold up to an extent. Tennessee did wind up recording only one sack and four tackles for loss, whereas they otherwise would, like I said, have normally been living in their opponent's backfield. Kentucky didn't really fare much better, only two sacks on the day and five tackles for loss, so just one more in each column for the Wildcats over the Volunteers in this one. 
It's but a wild thing also that uh, Wesley Walker and Elijah Herring showed up. Uh, Walker with nine tackles, Herring with eight, and then we had Judy Lolly with seven. This was Beasley's lowest production game on defense, only three tackles, which I, I guess, you know, really has a good testament to their O-line that they, they kept Beasley at bay, but allowed that allowed other people to get through. I think that as long as we do continue to produce, if each individual is still getting, you know, three to four tackles and up a, a piece, yeah. uh, if, if each of our defenders, I mean, I'm pretty sure it looks like that almost every defender that played got at least one tackle. It's still a great thing seeing that growth on the defense, especially from last year. Including kick returner D. Williams. Yes. Yes, including D. Williams. Um, and, th- and that's great to hear because uh, Haddon is actually out. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, He had a season-ending surgery two days ago, three days ago, something like that. So we're definitely looking for other members of the defense to step up especially in the corner and safety area to to make up for it because despite a lot of beliefs and despite our own even our own fan base's belief Haddon was one of the top producers on paper in the SEC this year despite how a lot of people especially getting later into the season yeah despite how a lot of people felt about him like he's he is considered in the top producers of not just SEC in college football this year so it's definitely going to to be different seeing him not finish out the season uh, but I think uh, hopefully we have a little bit of a depth uh, and it might uh, alter how we we see our defense play moving forward but I think that as long as we continue to produce these tackles individually if each individual is like you know what today I'm getting three you know like Haddon's out to, to make sure they're not throwing right to where he was I'm going to rush the ball and be in their face and instead of four I'm getting five today or I'm getting six so hopefully that uh makes the defense step up a little bit more moving forward because they're going to need it against Georgia needing players to step up right now really is the story for the Gamecocks but I'm not sure how they're going to approach that considering that a majority of the team is so youthful right now we didn't have a whole lot of returning players Mm -hmm. so the fact that a majority of our starters on both lines of scrimmage offense and defense have gone down with some form of injury and we're this far into the season part of why i said last week before you know we whenever we were doing the preview show Mm -hmm. for this past weekend is that until south carolina is able to show me more than what they have i'm i'm kind of reserved to to not putting myself through the torture Mm -hmm. of of watching some of this stuff because i mean it's it's equate it to watching whatever your favorite thing is just get completely trashed and demolished in front of you Mm. um it's not fun in any capacity and Mm. and not so much to where i'm not so much of the fanatic anymore in the sense to where the outcome of something I had no control over could have that much of an effect on what my day would be. I used to. Mm. Not anymore, thankfully. Again, I mean, like I said, the same premise and the fact of sitting there and just watching something that that would normally or should typically bring happiness to you, Mm -hmm. in a sense, is, is going to do anything other than that. And 
like I said, until until I build back up enough uh, gusto, intestinal fortitude to to put myself through the the, the heartache and heartbreak mm-hmm. uh, of not seeing that type of stuff, you know, uh, I'm gonna reserve. But I definitely appreciate the the vote of confidence that you had given the Gamecocks last week uh, going into this game. Um, but as you can see, as the score turned out, I mean, but I, they they played you all different than they played us. Very much so, um, and of course, it's another situation to where I mean, they were still. I mean, we're having to face some of these teams in the latter part of our schedule, and the thing about it is, with any teams that you face them in the latter part of the schedule, they have grown more cohesive. Mm-hmm. They've gotten their stuff together. They're a, a, a more productive unit but the downfall and what the Gamecocks are having to deal with right now and I don't know whether it's something to blame on strength and conditioning or the individual position unit coaches I mean because everybody goes to the same strength and conditioning program it's just that their individual limitations allow them to have different goals or whatever set for them like Mm -hmm. I mean you're not going to have the quarterback bench pressing you know 400 pounds or whatever, but an, an offensive lineman, yeah, sure. But, I mean, you're going to get the same type of reps just set up for what the QB would be responsible for doing as opposed to, you know, a different position. So I don't necessarily think that it's on strength and conditioning. I just think it is the individual position groups and the team as a whole just playing – so far or trying to play so far above what we're capable of trying to do right now because of lack of depth because of youth and inexperience on the team that that is where these injuries are coming from Mm -hmm. is because people are having to try to step so far above what their normal capabilities were or what they would normally do throughout a season to preserve longevity throughout the entirety of the season that unfortunately these things happen these things occur and a not necessarily saying this is the reason but it could be you know a reason why we are currently sitting at two and six overall and one and five in the conference at this point um as far as individual stats rattler didn't really do much to uh, help himself as it stands in terms of that stuff, 20 of 33 for the day for 176 yards total, one touchdown on the day. Mario Anderson, 16 carries for 72 yards, long of 29. Not too bad as far as the stat line for him individually, but whenever you have Juju McDowell going two carries for negative three yards and Spencer Rattler getting sacked multiple times and in also um, getting called for intentional grounding multiple times. And I'm not going to say that uh, getting into the officiating that I mentioned in the in the running mm-hmm. into the show uh, had anything to do with this because, I mean, looking at every single one of them, yes, it was intentional grounding with the exception of maybe one um, for this game. Whenever your net rushing yardage only winds up being 33 yards on the day, meaning that you had a 209 total yards of offense against any team is not going to to reflect and, and show us having any kind of real you know chance of winning on the day the main highlight that i guess you could say come out of the day is that freshman phenom nick harbor is starting to come along 
in the absence of juice wells and what now seems to be almost an absence or just because of the fact that Xavier Leggett is getting double teamed almost every uh, opponent that we play against and that he had six catches for 59 yards on the day with a long of 23. Um, Mario Anderson, uh, the running back with the second highest receiving, three catches for 33 yards on the day. And then tight end Trey Knox, two catches for 31 yards. Xavier Leggett, very pedestrian considering the remainder or the rest of the season that has been so far with um, three catches for 20 yards on the day. Um, the the stat line that really stings here though is the fact that A&M defensive line four sacks ten tackles for loss and six passes deflected throughout the game compared to Carolina having a total of three sacks which is better than what they have been producing throughout the year seven tackles for loss and five passes deflected I mean, I don't want to sit here and dog and badmouth anybody on the team. I mean, I don't think that's what anybody should have to deal with it's at any point in time. It's not, it's not yeah. constructive in it's any not fix anything or capacity in that. I don't even necessarily think that there needs to be any kind of coaching changes at this point because the same people that are now saying that defensive coordinator Clayton White needs to be fired are the same people that were praising his defensive schemes the last couple of years but the last couple of years we had senior talent on the field mm-hmm. we are so young as a team right now you can be the best coordinator the best coach but if at the end of the day it's the wins and losses you man. do not have the talent to implement what you're good at you can only do so much and I say that as a coach's son. My dad coached baseball for almost 30 years um, in the town we're from. And so did my grandfather and so did my uncle. And my older brother is a coach and also played in college. And so, I mean, we're a baseball family. And, I mean, I've seen countless times a great coach not have the talent one season. You know, and that's just based off of, you know, what his draft number was. Right. The kids that are playing in this age limit might not be as good as the kids that played last year. Or So, I mean, you can go after the coach and you can pick and you can nitpick, but at the end of the day, I will always say that Stoops is absolutely right. And what his comment was is you want better players, you want better staff, donate. Yeah. Give them time, donate, lift them up. Yeah. Make it worth staying at, and you know, I mean, you can be frustrated and not be an absolute menace behind a keyboard or calling into an, a post-game show where you're just saying your first name and it's your voice, or sitting in the bleacher being a bleacher coach, you know, an Xbox coordinator. Um, so I mean, at the end of the day. You can be frustrated, but berating and belittling and calling for constant firings of coaches is uncalled for. Is not going to fix the problem. No. At the end of the day, it's just not. Take it from a fan of a program who's went through how many coaches since Phil Fulmer? Yeah. It doesn't fix anything. No. It doesn't. 
and hopefully i mean people see and realize that that it will take some time i mean thankfully hypo has has provided some seasons that 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 doesn't come into play as much for you guys Mm -hmm. but you know we'll just have to see what the takes trust and time i would tell that to any face fan base yeah moving along so we can get the rest of the sec taken care of mississippi state traveled to auburn headed out to the plains where unfortunately he did he got him a win himself a win another win uh mississippi state uh, and Auburn now both sitting at four and four on the season and one and four in conference play. It's kind of hard to believe, and I I, I just can <laughs> only uh, take this back to the fact that South Carolina, they're the person who does their scheduling is apparently not afraid, doesn't care about trying to get some of these lower non-conference opponents in to to help at least get you know three maybe four wins and then only have a couple of of toss-up games to have to deal with to try to gain bowl eligibility um but the fact that mississippi state in their first year uh under a new head coach after having lost mike leach is sitting at 500 right now i think is is somewhat of a testament in a sense course they now sit in a situation where they have to win at least two of the next four games uh same thing for auburn they're gonna have to win two of their next four games uh to be able to become bowl eligible well i think that it's a testament to this season i think it's a testament to what uh mississippi mississippi state had i think they're starting to realize this year what mike leach did for their program Right, in the amount of talent now, and people that got brought in. They've got this defensive mind who's like, oh, no, let's run, let's run. You don't have running weapons, you have throwing weapons. Yeah. Because of what Mike Leach built. As unfortunate as the season it is for Mississippi State to have, I think the fan base is really, I think it's a, a big opportunity for the fan base to be like, holy crap, Mike Leach was, was good. Right. He was a good coach. He knew how to use this pro- program and this guy does not so this guy's going to have to literally completely rebuild his program based off of his styles or he gets a coordinator who can work with Mike Leach's offense and puts 100% faith that this coordinator is going to work this Mike Leach offense if they keep it right and and that may be the case we'll have to see uh, but Mike Wright honestly was the story of uh, mm-hmm. What would have been the Mississippi State Bulldogs offense? Um, 16 to 32 for 161 yards, average of five yards, one touchdown, one interception. But to add to that, 14 carries was the leading rusher on the team with 14 carries for 63 yards. So he was definitely having to, to scramble and run for his life quite a bit. Uh, on the receiving end of things, Xavion Thomas for the Bulldogs, nine catches, 112 yards. While it wasn't Will Rogers, like I said, Mike Wright had to rely on the on the wheels a little bit more than the arm. It seems like um, they still got some stuff going on through the air. Uh, on the other side, Peyton Thorne, twenty of twenty six, two hundred thirty yards, three touchdowns through the air uh, for Auburn. Definitely needed to get something like that going just to be able to build some confidence for the QB after he had not been having some of the best games previously in the season. 
Uh, Jarquez Hunter, 17 carries, 144 yards with a long of 50. Whenever you break off a 50-yard run, mm. that that anything anything past like three to five, maybe 10 to 12 yards, you know, um, either keeping it just in front of the sticks or just behind the sticks, those are those are good. Those are you know your bread and butter. That's what you're constantly looking for. Mm-hmm. But whenever you can see all that open green grass as a running back, man, that just has to be an un un unearthly uh, an otherworldly feeling of, of just trying to to make sure that you put as much space between you and the defenders that are that are trying to come up and and drag you down um and not much on the receiving end um i don't want to say pedestrian numbers um but the ball was definitely spread out quite a bit uh total of 20 receptions for 230 yards with a long of or average of 11 and a half long of 45 on the defensive side, <clears throat> not really much going. There were no sacks. Uh, both quarterbacks stayed clean as can be. Uh, in that aspect, uh, four tackles for loss for the Bulldogs, five tackles for loss for the Tigers. Like I said, that final score, a much-needed win for Hugh Freeze mm-hmm. in his first year, 27-13 uh, to 13 over the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And that pretty much brings us to the last game for the SEC that we needed to cover this week because, of course, both uh, Alabama and LSU were off this week. Uh, Count Missouri in that mix, too, as being off. Um, But as I mentioned in the opener, Georgia handedly taking care of the Florida Gators with a final score of 43-20. Uh, while I did pick Georgia to win, I thought it was definitely going to be quite a bit closer than what it was. Um, thought Florida was going to be able to cover that, uh, what was it, 14.5 point spread. Mm-hmm. A little over two touchdowns. Um, but Georgia did realize that they definitely did not have to require on a one Brock Bowers to be able to get anything done. They do still have a stable of weapons, one of which just did make a full-on reappearance in this game in Ladd McConkey, Six catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. And then if throwing to an actual wide receiver wasn't enough, um, Oscar Delp stepped up in a big way as well, being able to fill in some of those blocking positions, those blocking assignments, and was no stranger to catching the ball as well as he managed to get Two catches for 31 yards on the day for a long of 18. Carson Beck, I I guess it's a good thing that he wound up uh, being behind the old man Stetson Bennett, as it were, Mm -hmm. in this one, and being able to see what it takes to actually repeat as a national champion. um, Because if they are able to make it to that point, um, which all indicators point to that possibly being the case, uh, but they do still have some rather large hurdles to, to leap in what would be uh, Mizzou, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. And like we said earlier, uh, after the, the showing that Georgia Tech put on against North Carolina, uh, that could be uh, four rather large hurdles yeah. that they have to get over before even getting into the playoff scenario it Could be for I mean, this season. And plus you've also, not just those throwing numbers, you've got Deshaun Edwards, 15 carries, 96 yards. Kendall Milton, 13 carries, 55 yards. So, 
just like your secondary has all these worries, your front seven also have to worry about Georgia running the ball. Yeah, uh, and Georgia defensively, four sacks, eight tackles for loss, two pass breakups. Um, compared to Florida's zero sacks, um, they couldn't get after Carson Beck for anything. Uh, only four tackles for loss, uh, and then, of course, three pass breakups. And no fumbles, no interceptions. If you're perfect there, most coaches will tell you that's where you win games. Yeah, is in the turnovers, and there were no turnovers on either side. I mean, it was good, clean football. It just proved to be that Georgia was the better mm-hmm. team on the day. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I mean, like I said, they are the defending two-time national champions, currently sitting 8-0 overall, 5-0 and in conference play. Georgia dro- or Florida drops 5-3 on the season, 3-2 and in conference, and tied with Tennessee currently mm-hmm. in that aspect, only behind Mizzou, and we still have to see what Mizzou is going to do on the rest of the season at this point. Um, getting over to the out-of-conference games, and we did choose to do a couple of those mm-hmm. games, uh, one being, excuse me, the uh, both with high implications, one being the um, NC State and Clemson game, which we already spilled the beans on that one, if you didn't already Absolutely. know, that the Wolfpack did take down the Clemson Tigers. NC State 24, Clemson 17. But then um, one that we didn't mention last week, but we did kind of hand on today, is uh, Georgia Tech upsetting number 17 North Carolina, 46-42. Yes, final score, 46-42. Huge. Um, Louisville Big upset. took Duke to the woodshed. That was one of the mm-hmm. other ones that we had mentioned, um, talking about as far as uh, the full-on ACC um, implications at this point. Louisville kind of in the driver's seat, um, almost picking their destiny, so to speak, at this point yeah. in the ACC. Um, Florida State had no problem dispatching a Wake Forest if we're talking about a couple of ACC ones. But the uh, the other one was, of course, would not Oregon and Utah. I want to tell you something that was interesting about that game. It wasn't the final score. Mm. wasn't where it was played. Mm. wasn't the fact that that was the... Uh, site that game day chose to be at patty mack was shirtless wasn't that however utah's coach is notorious for going shirtless riding a harley to practice and of course utah right now because they're on their second string quarterback is using the pig farmer but both quarterbacks for that game were already married Oh my God, they're married? Yes. Both college quarterbacks wow. in this game were already married. Wow. Just thought that was a fun little bit of information that I had, I had heard leading up to this one. And that both QBs for this game were, were already wed. Uh, don't get me started on... <laughs> but of High course, school and college marriages. Oregon taking down the Ducks, taking down the Utes, the Mountain Men. Uh, final score of I would not have seen this score. I thought the Utes would give a better game. I really did. I, same for me. Uh, Oregon right now seven and one overall, four and one in the Pac-12. Utah drops to six and two, and three and two. 
definitely some from fun stuff to to look forward to coming up for this next weekend and what would be or actually coming up for friday what would be the preview show going into this next weekend which of course is going to be answering some more questions and getting a little bit clearer picture into what the college football playoff is going to look like for this season we'll probably get some more answers in terms of how the conference um, title matchups are going to shake out or who's going to be looking to be in the driver's seat fully or if we're going to be having some more battles to continue on down through the stretch of course this week uh, should be tomorrow tuesday because we are recording this today on monday uh, what would be october the 30th almost the end of october and of course like we said earlier october is officially over um in that the first ever 2023 playoff rankings are going to be released so if we were to go to the college football playoffs as of tomorrow evening or wednesday or whatever the case may be uh that that is who would be competing for a spot in the national playoffs we'd also be remiss not to mention the other two teams we were really focused on last week and hopeful for is james madison Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, both James Madison and Air, Air Force, Force remain undefeated in their seasons and yeah. are both in the top 25. Or, no, Air Force wasn't, were they? No, James Madison James is Madison is. In Air the Force has not. So good for those teams. A uh, lot of wild football happened this past weekend. Lots of wild football. And opening football. up some wild football for the coming games. Uh, the Four weeks. Do you realize we only have four? Four mm-hmm. weeks left of college football for the regular season. The month of November ends mm-hmm. the college football season, and it feels like it just got started. It does. It does. And it's wild to see the t- how much the top 25 has changed in just nine weeks. And how. And how. <laughs> and it's how. just crazy. It is very what college crazy. football is. And... and I, I don't think I could have asked. Well, yeah, as a South Carolina fan, I wish they could have definitely done better. But as a just college football fan in general, I don't think I could have asked for a better season. Absolutely. In in the, the final year of what is going to be the four-team playoff format, in what is going to be the final year of divisions for the SEC, um, definitely a lot of stuff for us to talk about once we do get to the off season, But we still got to make it to January. Mm-hmm. Um, before we're able to be done with college football in general because while the regular season may end at the end of this next month, we still have bowl season. And who knows, Tennessee looks like they're going to be primed for getting a decent bowl uh, going into the end of this year. South Carolina, of course, needing to get a win in the four remaining games that they have for this year to even reach bowl eligibility. Guys, on behalf of all of all... T-Mac, Tyler McDaniel, I am forever to the Gamecock, Brian Lowe, saying we will see you on the next episode of the Cocky Top Podcast.